Good news, everyone. The pandemic is over. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello, everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson here. What was that outrageous statement I made? The pandemic is over. Well, a pandemic happens when a bug comes out and it runs across a naive population. You get wave after wave of infection. An endemic is what happens after that bug is now part of your landscape. That's the bad news. We now have a new respiratory seasonal virus that's going to be with us called SARS-CoV-2, which delivers the disease we know as COVID. So is the pandemic really over? Well, it kind of is for some people in some places. If we turn here now, uh, this is what the Norway's uh, national health chief has declared, that the pandemic is over. They say now there in uh, Norway that they're just going to have to get on with this and live with it. And let me find my drawing tool here real quick. There she is. Uh, It says COVID-19 pandemic now over in Norway, according to one of the doctors leading the response against coronavirus in the rich Scandinavian country. We'll see how it fares post-peak oil. Different story for a different day. So um, the chief physician here said of the infection control division at Norwegian Institute of Public Health tweeted on Sunday a graph showing Norway with its lowest level of hospital admissions since the end of last summer and wrote, That is the pandemic over with. I bet that's a little translational issue right there. Here in Norway, the pandemic, he says, is to say over. We can start to prepare ourselves for corona taking very little space in our everyday lives. Yeah, that's what we've been waiting for is to get on with this and begin living with it rather than in fear of it. And that's what happens. Life is full of risks. Eventually, you learn how to manage those risks and uh, you get on with things. So... Now, that's what this episode is about. I'm going to show you lots and lots of data that both suggest that the pandemic is pretty much over in a lot of places. This is a hypothesis we've been working with for a while based on the idea that the Delta variant, with its all-critical P61R mutation conferring extra, extra, extra ability to transmit and replicate and all of those things, that the Delta variant was going to sweep through very, very rapidly and deliver natural herd immunity all on its own. Got some great data around which is the best kind of immunity here again today. Um, Carrying on with this in this article, uh, he says it's kind of uh, like the flu. Um, Check this out. Estimates from um, Avitsland indicated that the infection fatality rate, the true IFR, the proportion of people who die as a result of infection, this isn't cases, it's an infection fatality rate. So everybody who gets it... um, was about 0.05% during the May to July period, May, June, July. We have a full three months of data. And the thing about uh, Norway is they actually did a lot of testing, not just if you showed up at the hospital. They didn't have different rules for whether you were vaccinated or unvaccinated, which totally makes the data from other parts of the world completely a mess. Uh, But Norway, they did a pretty good job. They collected all of this. And so they said, well, they had a total of 23,877 proven cases or infections of which 25 people died. You divide those two numbers and you come up with an infection fatality rate of 0.05%. How does that compare? Well, glad you asked. For sake of comparison, IFR during a normal flu season is about 0.1. So this stuff, as it's currently being managed within the Norwegian health system, and by the way, they use a lot of vitamin D in Norway as a normal part of their practice, not strictly or solely or even because of COVID. It's just 
been part of their life for a long time because they know vitamin D actually has huge health benefits that it will give you. So that's what they're finding with real data is that the infection fatality rate of COVID is half what we would experience or what they would experience from a normal flu season. And that itself has an infection fatality rate of around 0.1%. Nothing that you want to completely take your country's economy apart for, nothing that you want to ruin and fear-based, you know, run fear into entire years, which is like forever in kids' lives. Not something that you would say, we have to protect every person from having contact with every other human around this. It's really, it's not that, can we just call this what it is? It's not that scary of a number. You know what, you know what the fatality rate for being born is? 100%. It's just part of life. We have all these risks. We have to manage them. Norway has come forward and said, eh, now we got to manage this like a seasonal flu. And by the way, according to three months of data, ain't that bad. Confirming that might be Sweden, which also took this very hands-off approach. Remember, you were reading all about Sweden early on, where in this country, the United States, but also in lots of Europe, they were horrified that Sweden was going to even cost. I even was wondering what they were up to early on. I didn't know what our um, case fatality rate was going to be. I thought it was 3%. I thought... Sweden might be taking a big old roll of the dice. Um, turns out they did the right roll of the dice. And uh, so here's their experience. We can see that cases indeed are starting to tick up a little bit here. But where are the deaths? Deaths are absolutely flatlined here. Reason. Turns out that all the data we're getting from the Delta variant says it's not as deadly. Reason. As more and more people become vaccinated within a population, fewer of them are going to die because the vaccines are protective against hospitalization and death. Reason, maybe all the people who were going to die got taken out in the first pass through this whole thing because uh, those were the people who were older or had six or more comorbidities. In fact, it wasn't that COVID killed them. It really just pulled their death forward a few months, possibly. It's one way we could look at it. Um, reason, um, maybe maybe it's, it's all of the above and Delta variants just less deadly. So how, whatever the reasons are, this is the data. That's what we're looking at over there. And so uh, Sweden, obviously, doing something really good. By the way, in my world, if I was running things, I would go to countries that are having great success, and there are a lot of them around the world, and I would say, what are you doing? And then we would uh, learn from them. You know, if only humans had the capability to observe and learn from others, that would be, that'd be swell. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. We do. It's called science. And if we were using science, we would actually be going over there daily from the United States saying, what'd you guys do? And how'd you do it? And what can we do? Anything we can learn. By the way, it's not just a couple of small Norwegian uh, countries. It's also um, Iowa. The Iowa Department of Public Health has just classified COVID-19 as endemic. The Marion County Public Health Director, Kim Dorn, says this means it's likely to not simply disappear. Nope, it's just going to kick around for a while. It's endemic in the population, and what that means is uh, it's just expected to be there, kind of like flu during the flu season. I think people are hoping this will go away, but it's not going to go away. Endemic means uh, to assume it to be in the population and that we're going to have to learn to live with this. Um, so, hey, guess what? The Marion County Public Health here is no longer keeping track of case counts does not handle them on a case-by-case basis. Instead, they are working to provide general guidance for positive cases, and they've got some outreach on that. So lots of places are starting to wake up, shake their head out of this whole idea that we're in the middle of this raging pandemic where it's going to just kill everybody 
and and have started to coalesce around the idea that, well, maybe not. Maybe that's um, maybe the case fatality rate or infection fatality rate is not all that um, really all that dire, and and it really isn't. And that's not to minimize the people who get harmed or who do die from this. But this happens for any disease state that we have in any given year. It happens to children from respiratory syncytial virus. It happens to people from uh, common flus, colds, things like that. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Now, we do have a lot of data from Israel. I want to go over part of that because I think it's beginning to tell a story as well that I want to use to reject this idea that's starting to brew out there that the only way you can be health is if you somehow get subscribed into the no opt-out needing a constant software update in the form of an mRNA injection that you need one of these every six months, eight months, year, whatever the, whatever the subscription model is. Uh, I want to make sure that, that we understand what we're trading off within that model if we go down that path of believing that what we need is humans suddenly for the first time in all of history is we're going to need a constant medical intervention in order to remain healthy. Again, we don't have this sort of uh, uh, very aggressive approach going on for any other endemic diseases, certainly not ones with an IFR of just 0.05%, if that turns out to be the right number. So from Israel, though, we have some really interesting data coming out that we have to talk about. It's very important. Um, we'll find out how much I can talk about here without getting censored, but um, who knows? It's just data. So let's go in here. Uh, they Break it down. I really like this. Hospitalizations by age. They do it by sector here as well. So sector is uh, foreigners, Arabs, general population, and the Orthodox um, as well. They do hospitalizations, most importantly, by immunity status. Don't worry if you can't read that. I'm going to blow that one up because I want to talk about that one a little more. And as well here, they have um, hospitalizations, community versus came to Israel from abroad. Where is this stuff coming from? Uh it's almost all community. That's this color down here. Very, very few cases, but some are coming from abroad in that little tiny smear at the top there. So at any rate, they're performing lots and lots of tests. This is how many per day. This is how many positives. They're seeing a 3.94, 3.84, sorry, percent uh, positivity rate. So of people who are getting tested, again, lots depends on how are you testing and why. Is this random? You're just testing everybody randomly. Is it only people who are showing up with scratchy throats or who think they have a reason to suspect they might have COVID? Um, or they need to get one as a consequence of uh, maybe a vaccine mandate at work or is, is who knows. But however these people are showing up to get tested, they're, they're seeing a, about a 3.8% positivity rate. So that's a lot higher than we were seeing it um, even very early on in the pandemic when things were really raging. So that's a pretty high number. Now, I want to talk about this hospitalizations by immunity status because there's some really cool information in here for us. First, first, uh, the fully vaxxed are about 65% of the total population, and that's about 65%, and even number, 64% of the total hospitalizations. So just on the basis of this, if you have 65% of your population vaccinated on average and 64% of hospitalizations are vaxxed people, that means that you're not seeing any particular benefit for hospitalizations from the jab. Now, why is this important? Israel is almost completely vaccinated with the Pfizer mRNA product. They are several months ahead of the rest of the world. So there's a chance that Israel's just showing us where we're going to be in other parts of the world a few months down the line because they're just ahead of us. Um, so this speaks to the idea, just in that solid blue bar right there, that waning immunity is a thing. 
It's part of this. And we have to decide if we're just going to put up with trying to fight that waning immunity by just doing more of what just waned and putting more and more jabs into people. But the concern is that for most people, if they're going to have a bad side effect, and, and people do, a uh, bad side effect to the jabs, particularly the mRNA jabs, the second shot has a much worse uh, side effect profile than the first shot. Makes sense, right? So something in your immune system goes haywire for some people. Very few, but still a, not, a not insignificant number. If the first jab is bad, the second is worse, the question now becomes, well, what's the third jab do? What's the fourth? What's the fifth? I mean, do we really want to subscribe to that model of basically being on a software update cycle, which is really what we're talking about here? And if so, we should ask some questions about that. And the Israeli data says, guess what? The vaccinations wane over time. Not a surprise. We were all expecting that. I think the little bit of surprise is just how quickly that happened. I want to see what the real surprise in all of this is, is that the recovered are just 2% of the immunity uh, of the hospitalization. So recovered means these are people who have already recovered from COVID-19, but they're not vaccinated because they have a second category in here, which is recovered and vaxxed. I don't know how many people that is, so I can't compare that number, but I do know how many people are in the recovered status. So we can talk about that because here's a really cool thing. Let's go there. We go to worldometers. We find out that this is, I'm going to use this as the recovered number here, 889,209. That's how many people have recovered. That's the total number of recovered. Some number of those have also been vaccinated. I don't know how many that is, but using this number as a um, uh, sort of a, a, a reasonable proxy for the number of people who have already been vaccinated, sorry, who have already received immunity, not from vaccination, but from a natural immunity, from natural immunity. We had from another article, they said that it was 837,000. Uh, that was probably four or five episodes ago I presented that data. So I'm, I believe 889 is not an unrealistic number to have now. But at any rate, we're just all we want is a broad brushstrokes, which is that with the Israeli population of 9.33 million, you divide those two numbers by each other and you find out that 9.5% of the population is recovered from COVID. And yet the recovered represent only 2% of hospitalizations. In this chart, the recovered are the ones who have by far the best protection from hospitalization. I don't have the equivalent um, data for deaths, but I'm going to sort of project and guess that um, hospitalization precedes death. So we might see a similar pattern unfold there as well. But again, don't know. So, but it does say that uh, natural immunity is really excellent immunity. In fact, in this story, the people who recovered typically re had their immune, sorry, had their COVID infection many, many months earlier. So they gave the jabs typically starting in December of this past year of 2020. It's already wearing off. Many of these people who got their natural immunity had gotten that much earlier in 2020. So I can make a second guess here, which is that natural immunity seems to also be more durable. It's both more robust and more durable than the jab itself. All right. So the CDC, though, when I went to its website to say, is this true? How, do, how does the U.S. feel about natural immunity and all that other stuff? They just threw up um, right here. You can see I pulled this right off of the CDC website right here. They're running with this. Um, there was also an article. This is the URL for the article. This is the article. The article headlines, Natural Immunity or Vaccine, New CDC Study Shows. COVID-19 vaccines offer more protection. Now, how would you read that headline? I'll tell you how I read it. It says that vaccines offer more protection. 
than natural immunity. Turns out, if you read down even just one bar down, it says here, a CDC study from Kentucky found that those who had COVID-19 in 2020 and were fully vaccinated were less likely to catch it again than those unvaccinated. (laughs) Come on, guys. That's just... Can we not do this? This is dumb. I just, I hate, I get just, I just get weary fighting stuff this dumb. What would you do? Instead, instead of asking the question, tell us about people who both had COVID and were vaccinated and compare them to unvaccinated. Can we just tease them apart? Let's just, just like Israel did. There's multiple categories here. There's people who've never had COVID and they've never received an infect, an injection. There's people who've naturally recovered. There's people who've naturally recovered and received one vaccination, so they're partially vaccinated. There are people who've naturally recovered and received two vaccinations. And then there are people who have only had uh, one or two vaccinations. Those are the categories. But here they just conflated it, measured those who were both had a prior infection and were vaccinated, which I think might work, you know, because you're boosting the, the immune response on top of your natural immunity could only possibly help at least initially Leaving aside what might happen if we go towards antibody-dependent enhancement or something else like that down the road. We don't, six, eight months, we'll, we won't really know how this story is written until we're done conducting the human trials, which is kind of happening right in the population as we speak. So I went to this study and I looked at it pretty carefully. I, I read it. Um, first up, uh, they, it's, all I'm going to show you is these are the numbers. They only compared 246 what they were calling case patients against 492 control patients. They say that there was a ha- the, um, risk. You had a 2.34 higher chance of getting COVID if getting a detectable infection. Sorry, COVID's a disease. Let me catch myself. Um, if you weren't vaccinated. What they didn't tell us was all kinds of stuff in here. Um, so let me tell you my objections to this. First, um, it's really poorly written. I couldn't tell from the methods what actually happened. Um, they counted an antigen chest test is a positive as well as a PCR test, either of those two, but they didn't tell you how many cycles they ran. So we don't know, were these actually infected, like meaningfully infected people? Or did you run the unvaccinated at a cycle threshold of 40, but the vaccinated at a 28? They didn't tell us what the standards were. Um, And then second, they said an antigen test counts as a positive. Come on, guys. Antigens, particularly for people who are naturally infected, those antigens can be there for a long time after infection. So they were saying, oh, that counted as them being reinfected because, you know, we detected antigens at a later time. Like they didn't, they didn't tell us how they set the bar and there's, you know, antigen counts and there's, you might, anyway, they didn't do that. And, and the study doesn't mention if the vaccinated are tested in a truly random and comparable rate as the others in this story. And you would need to know that, right? So if they said, we did population level sampling. We went out there. We randomly pulled people. We tested them exactly the same way using the same test, same cycle threshold, same rate. Then you could compare. They didn't do any of that. But despite these huge limitations, this is what you find when you go to the CDC website. They're saying pretty much this. And then the headlines get written that vaccines offer more protection than natural immunity. But this, sorry to tell the authors of this, This is a really crappy study. It's really poorly done. If I can't tell what you did from the methods, you got to go back and rewrite it. I would have flunked this one in review and sent it back and said, until you write this in a way I know what you did, and so I know we're comparing groups, it don't count. 
But there are good studies out there. Here's one that came out fairly recently. This is the one I would put up on the CDC if I was. Look how you have to write headlines to get them past the reviewers here. Necessity of COVID-19 vaccination in previously infected individuals. I like how they did that. It's kind of neutral. But you see what they had to do there to get this snuck past? Because I can, I'm going to rewrite that headline for you when we're done with this. Check this out. Pretty good study here. I like this one. Employees of the Cleveland Clinic Health System working in Ohio on December 16, 2020, the day COVID-19 vaccination was started, were included. Any subject who tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 at least 42 days earlier was considered previously infected. I'll, I'll buy that. One was considered vaccinated 14 days after receipt of the second dose of a SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccine. So you had to get a second dose 14 days after that. That's when the clock starts for fully vaccinated. The cumulative incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection over the next five months, I like this, uh, among previously infected subjects who received the vaccine was compared to those of previously infected subjects who remained unvaccinated. Previously uninfected subjects who received the vaccine and previously uninfected subjects who remained unvaccinated. Ah, there's those groups. Those are the groups you want. Now we can compare these groups against each other. So what they find? Really cool. Check this out. Among, uh, oh, get my draw tool back. Among the 52,238 included employees, 1,359 of 2,579 previously infected subjects remained unvaccinated. So compare. This is over that five-month period. They're saying here that of people who were in of the 52,000 employees out there, um, 2,500 of them got infected with COVID. And out of those, 53%, half, said, you know what? I'm cool. I don't need the vaccine. So they were decided they chose to remain unvaccinated. Um, that's an interesting thing. We're going to talk about that, particularly in part two of this, because we've got a really cool webinar coming up at my website this Thursday. It's 7 o'clock live. You get a chance to ask me questions if you want, uh, along with all of my enrolled members at Peak Prosperity. We're going to be talking about this plus the mass psychosis that's going on right now and how you can survive that and, and just you know keep a level head. At any rate, I want to talk about this kind of data. This is awesome. Okay, compared with uh, 22,777, 41% of 49,659 not previously infected. The cumulative incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection remained almost zero among previously infected unvaccinated subjects. Almost zero. So that's, that's, uh, that's what we would call almost perfect. Previously infected subjects who were vaccinated and previously uninfected subjects who were vaccinated compared with a steady increase in cumulative incidence among previously uninfected subjects who remained unvaccinated. So if you weren't infected, remained unvaccinated, you would there was a steady cumulative increase in people getting infected. But if you were vaccinated, partially vaccinated, or had a prior infection um, that gave you natural immunity, they detected almost nothing. Check this out. Not one of the 1,359 previously infected subjects who remained unvaccinated had a SARS-CoV-2 infection over the duration of the study. Zero, not one. 1,359 previously infected healthcare workers. So they're, they're exposed, they're in the system. Not one of them over that five month period had a reinfection. So this is a much better study. This one says conclusively 
that natural infection is at least as good as the um, as getting a vaccine. What we don't know from this totally, couldn't parse it out in the data because it's a zero. How do you improve on zero if, if some of those previously infected people had gotten uh, COVID and then fewer who both were previously infected and had a vaccine um, had managed to show up with, with a, a subsequent infection, then we could say something. But when it's zero, how do you improve upon nobody getting COVID? Kind of hard. So now it's a statistical argument. They go in, they give people vaccines to say, look, their antibodies are higher. Therefore, ergo, they should have a better uh, run at this. But um, here's the truth. This study tells us hands down, flat out, no question about it, that natural immunity gives you an extraordinary benefit of protection from being reinfected. The Israeli data says it goes further than that. Previous infection, where you, which you recover from a natural infection with your natural immunity, gives you a very, very strong, the best so far that we see in this data. Although I wish I could see that recovered plus vaxxed. I don't know how big that number is. But comparing recovered to fully vaxxed to partially vaxxed, recovered is by far, in the Israeli data, a better source of immunity. So when I combine these two things right here, I think we can come up with sort of a rule that we can um, that we can get to, which looks like this. Here's your immunity ladder. Um, the vaccine plus maybe, maybe this I just wanted to put it in parentheses. You see, I have the parentheses around that top one because we don't have the data for this yet. But my guess would be, and I'd love until we get the data. I'm just going to hold this as a possibility that the highest form of immunity you can have is to both have had a natural infection and you get the vaccine. Don't have the data for that. But for sure we can say that right now natural looks better than vaccine, which looks better than nothing. That's that's the immunity ladder. But it's got to be more complicated than that, right? Just a little bit more. I'm going to add one thing, which is that if we prepared the terrain as well, if people had adequate levels of vitamin D, if people had adequate levels of zinc and selenium and they had were getting appropriate health uh, exercise outside and, and fresh air and sun and and they were happy and not stressed and uh, maybe their BMI was as low as could be, certainly under 30. That that sort of preparing the terrain, that any anybody with a prepared terrain is going to be better off than somebody without a prepared terrain. So that's why those numbers all sort of bump up there and go higher. And as well, I'm going to add one, one last thing, which is that... Um, if you added early treatment to all of this, that would, of course, be by far the dominant and best response to all of this would be to follow the immunity ladder, plus a prepared terrain, plus we have aggressive early treatments, which we know a lot about now. A lot of good doctors are out there doing this. Unfortunately, you can't hear about a lot of those good doctors. I know many of them. Many of them have had their channels scrubbed from YouTube um, for um, for this reason right here. So let's... Uh, Let's see. Let me see where I can. I think it's right around one, 127. It's right around where I want to go. Yeah, let's just listen in here. I found this pretty interesting. ...platform in the world. We tell you this not to attack Susan Wojcicki's life story. Good luck is a great thing. Agreed. But simply to remind you that many of the people now in charge of your life have no relevant qualifications to justify the power they now hold. They just fell into it, as people do. What's infuriating is that they won't admit this. They pretend that the control they wield is part of the natural order of things somehow, that they deserve it, that they're God. Most of them forget that not so long ago, they worked in the marketing department. <laughs> Here's Susan Wachitsky announcing that she plans to censor any information about COVID that she doesn't like, even if that information has been posted by physicians who are treating COVID. 
Watch. But then we also talk about um, removing information that is problematic. You know, of course, anything that is medically unsubstantiated, so people saying like, take vitamin C, um, you know, um, take turmeric, like those are all will cure you. Um, those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Um, uh, uh, vitamin C is a very good thing to have in your system. Uh, turmeric is also, there's studies that show it's also a very good thing. So the weasel wording she threw out there was like, oh, if they say this will cure you, you can't even. But even if you don't say that, even if you say here are this, here's the data, here are the studies that show that these things are beneficial and are, and are associated with better outcomes. She would pull that down, not because it's medically inaccurate, but because whoever it is that pulls her string says, eh, you know what, let's just take that stuff down because that's not good for our business model. And that's what we just have to call that call it what it is that all we're talking about here. This has nothing to do with public health. That much is clear. It does have to do with protecting something. Is it profits? Who knows what it is? Or is it just the raw exercise of power for its own sake? Maybe both. I don't know. Thing that would go against World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of our policy. And so remove is another really important part of our policy. So you're not just. Anything to go go against the World Health Organization, right? And and if you look below this, you know, if this assuming this video stays up, if you look down below, there'll either be a CDC banner or a WHO banner down there. By the way, the WHO has been wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong so many times. Uh, it's it's really difficult to keep up with how many times they've been wrong through this whole thing. And as well, it's also been revealed that the WHO uh, let China rewrite or write a whole portion of its of its lab leak report. We know that there's a lot of unexplained things that happen there. Listen, it's a big bureaucracy. Bureaucracies sometimes have interests that are in conflict with, with all sorts of things. But how the WHO suddenly has been enshrined by YouTube as the ultimate arbiter of things when we know that it's just shot through with conflicts of interest is a, it's a very interesting story. Putting the truth next to the lie, you're taking the lie down. That's a pretty aggressive approach. What? taking the lie down. So, so they just establish it, that what they're doing is taking the lie down. I know that they've taken down lots of things that's just basic science. And if it's not basic science, it's the kind of science that needs to be discussed because it's still an unclear area. That's how it works. That's what free speech is. That's what democracies are. That's what any of this is. But that's especially what science is. We don't know things and then we know things. Doctors thought smoking was a really good idea for a while. We used to spray kids with DDT to, uh, you know, get bugs off of them. Um, you wouldn't believe the number of things that science in it was settled about that got completely wrong. Uh, and so, uh, at any rate, I care about this because I care about science. I care about the, the rough and tumble, uh, you know, debate of ideas. I care because you can't know anything ever until... It's been repeated, repeated, and re-repeated. So the idea to come forward and say, oh, God, these crazy people with their ideas about vitamin C and turmeric, um, maybe they're not that crazy. Um, and they certainly aren't because those are uh, can be an important component of preparing your train, especially for people who are deficient in the things that those would provide. It would be very important for those people to find out about that. Again, it's a complicated situation. It's not as easy as saying... Either you get the vax or you're totally, you know, an awful human being. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I'm going to add to that complexity right now because why not? This is a really interesting thing that happens when you overlay two charts on top of each other. So this is in Israel. What we're comparing here on this left axis is daily COVID vaccine doses administered per 100 people. And against here at the right axis is daily new confirmed COVID-19 deaths per million people. 
these are highly correlated. So again, correlation doesn't mean causation. What's going on here? But there's not that many hypotheses. One hypothesis is that vaccine efforts really ramp up when deaths start to ramp up. People start reading about the deaths. The health authorities get a little freaked out. They, they put much more effort into vaccinating people. That's the explanation. The other explanation is that these are linked in some way, and we should we should unravel that and try and figure that out because um, it's a very kind of an interesting um, uh, sort of an observation here. But if you notice, um, this is going up before this is going up, and this is going up a um, little bit in advance of this, but kind of maybe the same amount of time. You know, here's the eh, it's hard to say, but you know what science would do? Science would say, cool. Let's go see if we can untangle this and figure this out. Are these related in some way? If they are, let's understand it. And, uh, and so that's, that's what we would do. We would just talk about it and um, see where that conversation led us. By the way, um, in part two of this, uh, which is going to follow this immediately over behind um, at, at my website, over for my members, I'm going to talk about this fear side, this fear corrupting. I just wanted to bring one example out for you because we live around this fear and this fear programming all the time. And I think it's driven some of my fellow humans to be less than kind is one way I could look at it or to in, 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 um, really start promoting this divisive otherness. Uh, you know, we're hearing about that now where people are unfriending their unvaccinated relatives or, you know, um, worse, uh, calling for, uh, in some cases, the extermination. On and on. It's, it's pretty hard. That happens a lot. Um, and we're going to be looking into that mass hysteria that causes conditions like this in part two. But this is an example, right? So this comes to us. It says here, Austin area down to two available ICU beds as COVID-19 cases continue to surge. Sounds awful. It, do, it is awful. Hospitals in the Austin area are down to just two staffed ICU beds as COVID-19 hospitalizations continue climbing. COVID hospitalizations are up or take up 14.5% of total hospital capacity in the region. There are people, it says here, who are waiting for beds in emergency rooms because we don't have enough staff to expand our ICU capacity. Think about that staff for a second. That's going to be interesting coming up. This is a phenomenon that's come about because we've had people working on a response to a pandemic for 19 months now, and some people have retired. Oops, there's that staffing issue. Some have just like wandered off because it was horrible, you know, just a horrible experience. And some people have moved on to different careers. So... Uh, a lot of people have, have sort of checked out of the biz, but this sounds horrible. So I looked into it. I said, well, how do we only two hospital, only two ICU beds, leaving the staffing issues aside, let's just look at this. Yeah, this sure looks scary. This is uh, ICU beds available in trauma service area zero, which is the Austin region they're talking about here. Uh, I want you to notice that even under in good, under good circumstances, um, way back here before the COVID wave, they had 180 ICU beds. What's the context? That's 180 ICU beds. Let's bring that 180 number over here. Let's divide it by the population of Austin, which we find out is 2.3 million in area zero. That means that they have ICU beds available on the ready at any time to service 0.008% of the population. Meaning that if 0.01% of the population suddenly needs an ICU bed, ah, we're, out of, we're, out, we're out of beds. This is in, in many ways a, a statement about and an indictment of a system which says, gosh, it's really hard and expensive to keep ICU beds staffed up. So we have enough to handle an average situation. But obviously, you know, with 180 ICU beds, if you had a stadium seating area collapse, you're out of ICU beds, right? Um, if you had any sort of a pandemic, 
you're out of ICU beds. So again, if you have something that, that's going to be um, with an infection fatality rate of just 0.05%, you're still going to run out of ICU beds um, if, those, if, if a significant portion of those people go to the ICU. So it sounds scary to say we're down to two beds, but and, and it's not cool, but I need you to understand it's really a choice that we make as a society to only have 180 available beds on average for a population of 2.3 million. And maybe that works most of the time. But that it's not working now is, is less a statement about how aggressively bad um, this Delta variant is right now as it is a statement about how what happens when you run a, a hospital system um, on basically, in banking terms, this is called fractional reserve betting. Um, you know, this, this is just, you know, you're, you're kind of hoping everybody doesn't show up all at once. You know how it is? So little inside uh, banking joke there. <laughs> all right. I have a way, you know me, I'm full of solutions. I have a way I think I could solve this unvaccinated issue that the United States is struggling with almost immediately. So this is one of two. So somebody's asking us a uh, call and response here says, question. So if I get one of the very rare serious side effects such as myocarditis, pericarditis, Bell's palsy, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, uh, splenic, uh, splenic vein, vein thrombosis, et cetera, the manufacturers will pay for my medical care and loss of income, right? Uh, no, they've been... Um, They've been given immunity from that. Oh, so, oh, so, so the government will, will pay for that. Uh, no, they won't either. So, well, I can at least sue for damages, right? Nah. Government has absolved both the manufacturers and itself from all liability. Oh, so we're all in this together. But if I get injured taking the shot, I'm on my own? Yeah, the answer is yes. So here's how you solve the unvaccinated issue almost immediately is you just end manufacturer immunity immediately. Boom. Done. I live in a country where people with broken legs are on video is calling in and, and saying, please don't send an ambulance. I can't afford it. I'm in a country with no social safety net. If you end up on long term disability in this country, which is hard, by the way, they exclude a lot of people don't let you on it. But if we um, if you end up on it, you know how much you get? about 700 bucks a month. Um, so imagine you're a bread earner breadwinner for your family, your whole family depends on you, or maybe both of you are working, both the husband and the wife, and you know, you're barely making ends meet. You can't afford to have one of you go down with a long-term disability. You just can't. Some people have to make that, make that decision. They can't take the risk. And so, of course, when you look at the overall risk profile, what is the true risk? At any particular age group and comorbidity group, there is a logical, rational place in, per, in terms of health and age, where somebody can rationally say, I can't take the risk. Now, if there was some backstop for that, if there was some protection, if there was some way that if you were one of these rare people who got injured, that you would be taken care of, not just thrown under a bridge or given 700 bucks a month, like good luck, good luck raising your family on 700 a month, right? Um, if we had something, that would, be, that would be different. If you show me the incentive, I will show you the outcome. It's very simple. So with the U.S. government absolving the manufacturers of all liability, absolving themselves of all liability, and then mandating that everybody's got to get this or they're horrible individuals, that's just dumb. You know, because we don't absolve any other manufacturers of liability. We don't do that for cars. Like, like what if an auto manufacturer says, hey, we got this brand new model. It's awesome. You get in it. It turns out they sourced the bolts for the wheels from China, and they're made out of zinc. They could have got the good German ones, but they're a little pricier. They're made out of steel. They got the zinc ones. Your wheels fly off, you crash because of a known defect that was easily uh, able to be foreseen. Of course you would expect manufacturer liability in that circumstance. Of course you would. 
Absolutely. But if the government says it's really important to us to not have the manufacturers eat that liability because that will curtail their their um, eagerness to make more of these things, then the government should assume that same liability. But to absolve them and remove themselves from the liability chain and then say it's all on you um, is kind of a recipe for exactly where we're at at this point in time. So just another simple suggestion from a guy who's sitting over here thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this, right? All right. Um, all that said, Delta, it's it's obviously very real. I need you to remain on alert. Um, this really isn't the time to drop your guard. The vaccinated themselves, however, are a danger to other people and maybe themselves because to the extent we assume them to be safe, we now know from a Vietnamese study that they're carrying 260 times the viral load. Uh, and we know from other studies up to 1,000 or even 1,200 times the viral load in vaccinated individuals, but they don't have the symptoms, right? Because the vaccines do prevent you from becoming symptomatic and going to the hospital and dying. It does those wonderful things, but it also means you might be walking around in an asymptomatic state, really spreading this thing, potentially to people who are um, in a partially vaccinated, unvaccinated state or haven't had natural immunity or can't for, you know, get vaccinated for some reason, that the vaccinated may be a danger, to people if we consider them to be safe when they're not safe. So just keep all the same precautions, right? Take your supplements, get good sleep, keep your uh, uh, stress down, exercise, go outside. If you're in crowds, wear a proper mask, not one of those magic talisman masks, the loose fitting thing, not your shirt tucked up over your nose, not the thing below your nose. Don't even bother. But if you're going to be out there in public and you're worried at all about your health, wear a properly fitted N95 mask or don't bother is the way I look at it. If you do get symptoms, you got to get early treatment. There are lots of early treatments. You go to flccc.net and you look at what they're doing there. There are doctors there who really understand this disease process. The data is very clear. Just go there, check them out. Awesome folks. My prediction remains the same, finally, that uh, the Delta variant is going to cause us to get to a much more rapid herd immunity. We may find ourselves in the position of Norway or Sweden soon enough because this thing's going to go out. It's going to everybody that gets infected with Delta variant. I've known a lot of them personally, by the way. Starts with a headache and a runny nose, very different from the classic SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID symptoms. COVID symptoms, in this case, splitting headache. Um, and a lot more immune to Dwizabin too. Um, uh, so people are recommending to dial up um, uh, the approach for that early treatment and treat it much more aggressively because if it does get away from you, it could be pretty bad. And so we're seeing it affect more and more people but uh, of younger ages. And that's what we would expect for something that has such a ridiculously high viral load. All right. With all of that said, uh, I think that we get to herd immunity much more rapidly because it spreads quickly. And when it spreads, it creates a natural immunity. Remember that study out of the Cleveland Health System. Zero people out of the 1,359 who had prior infection over a five-month period were showing up with any sort of infection at all. Zero. Zero. All right. Um, With all that, uh, thank you. Hey, good news. We just passed 400,000 subscribers here on YouTube. That's good news. And that's because of you and because you share this with other people and you've helped spread this around. And thank you so much for doing that and helping us get the word out because we want more people to think this way. It's time for a third party and that third party, the people party. It's just people who can look at data like this. We can be reasonable about it. We understand the world is complicated. We're not going to live in terrorized fear over something with a 0.05% IFR. We're going to get on with our lives and make the most of it and be happy, well-adjusted human beings who understand that we do have a lot of really huge predicaments we have to face here in the United States, here as citizens of the world, 
based on all kinds of really huge things going on. So it's time to get on with our lives. If you want to see part two of this, I'm going to go into a lot of this hysteria a little bit more deeply. And uh, we, we got to talk about that. There's some fairly ugly things going on out there. How do you immunize yourself from those? How do you remain happy and healthy? How do you um, avoid uh, running into and, and becoming um, dragged down, I guess is the way, by by other people's madness? By the way, this happens all the time in human history. We saw this um, during the French Revolution, a little thing called the Bridge at Nantes there. We saw it uh, during various wartime states. We saw it in the Salem Witch Trials. We see this sort of hysteria come up over and over again, and it's usually based on a fear that's rooted in some thing that the current people consider real. So guess what? Those They weren't awful people who burned all those witches at the stake. They really thought in their minds they were doing the right thing and they were protecting their community. Think of the children. They just were misguided and they just didn't have the right data in mind. But that doesn't matter because when the psychosis comes, people do crazy, crazy things. You hope the psychosis burns itself out before real, lasting cultural damage is done. But I got to tell you, I'm a little worried about where we are and uh, where we're headed at this point in time. So that's what we're going to be talking about in part two. A lot of reasons I can't do that out here in public, but um, maybe maybe in the future we can uh, once again have uh, free speech back in this country. I hope so. I really do. And free inquiry and um, science. That would be awesome. All right. Thanks so much for your attention today. Remember, share this with five people if you can. Like, hit the like button. Please subscribe if you haven't. That's how you help us, and uh, so we can help you. See you next time.